Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, made possible by the great crew at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, we're joined by a man who played 241 games for North Melbourne and was a key contributor to two premierships in one of the Kangaroos' golden eras. David King was a mature age recruit from the old VFA in 1993. An unfashionable choice may have been the description at the time, but he shone almost instantly, catching the eye as a pacey, aggressive player with a straight-ahead flair and a booming kick. And King's two flags were matched by his two All-Australian gongs. And now, well, he's gone down what his old coach Dennis Pagan would have called Media Street, but he's making frequent trips as the best analyst in the game. Kingy, welcome. Thanks for your time. Sammy, I still can't believe I said yes to this, but here we are. We'll have a bit of fun and a few laughs at my expense. Now, they say dogs look like their owners, right? But I I reckon your media career holds similarities to your playing career, and that being that you speak with a passion, and there's as much conviction in what you say as how you played. You were straight ahead on the field, and you're straight ahead behind the microphone. Oh, look, I think... uh... I knew that as, as a player that you're just a, you're just one cog in 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 the wheel that uh, is about getting the football somewhere near the best player in the comp, and then the rest of us get out of the way. Hang on, you're a dual all Australian. <laughs> There's no room for modesty on this program either. I might. No, well, I think if you look at the teams that are, that are always successful, they have a, a glut of all Australians come through, and you, you know the rising tide lifts all boats uh, discussion. So. When you play with guys like Carey, Archer, Stevens, you know, Wayne Swass doesn't get talked about enough. Craig Scholl, the same. Um, you know, Corey McKernan, I think, gets left out of a lot of conversations. Peter Bell, the list goes on. Um, it was a great place to be. So to walk in as a 22-year-old mm. into a club that had all these guys in the peak of their powers, they're always going to win a flag, in my opinion. And I, we just had a great time. We, we just had a lot of fun. It's a strange world we live in now, though, isn't it? So what you say and what a lot of your contemporaries behind the microphone say is all, almost dissected as much as what those out on the ground offer. In this time of social media and electronic media, it's a, it's a crazy space we live in when it comes to covering the game at the moment. Yeah. Look, the moment that mobiles had cameras attached to them, the world changed. I, I think everyone's a journalist now. Everyone can capture an image, um, sell a sell a story off a photo that can look good, look bad, whatever. Um, and back in the 90s, it just wasn't the case. I mean, the mo- the first mobile that we ever saw was when John Longmire walked into a <laughs> restaurant at, I think it was uh, the University Cafe in Ligon Street, uh, upstairs for our little Tuesday night dinners, and he bought in this thing that looked like looked like a briefcase, <laughs> weighed about 30 kilo. And he just sat down, didn't say anything, then five minutes later, this briefcase rang. We said, what's that? He goes, hang on, guys, I've just got to take a call. And he picked up a receiver that was like out of Get Smart. It was that big. 
And that was the first mobile that we'd ever seen. I wouldn't have picked horse to be the first. To be oh, honest. no, pioneer horse. Yeah, he was. Loved his of, technology. He just was ahead of the game with, with all things. Like He was the first to go to play management with IMG. Um, very smart guy. Was always going to be a success wherever path he took. Mm. And uh, th- that was the diversity of the group. We had some guys that wouldn't have been able to. That wouldn't have been able to, you know, boil the kettle for you. And then we had some guys that were ahead of, just absolutely ahead of uh, technology. So how often do you find yourself thinking, if at all, mind you, that what it would have been like to play in this era where players are under, you know, a much bigger microscope, not just on field, but as you touched on off field in your day, the 90s, the players, you know, let's be honest, they they played as hard as they they worked, didn't they? I I arrived at North in 94. From 94 to to 99, it was was part-time. You, know, you, you everyone had a job. So you'd turn up to training at four o'clock and you'd leave it at eight mm. on Monday and probably Thursday. Um, sometimes there was, there was a third session in there. Sometimes there wasn't. You play the game on a Friday night. You do a short, sharp 20 minute on Saturday morning and see you again Monday. It was semi, semi, semi professional for the guys. Played 19 games in my first year. And I got a check at the end of the year for, uh, no, I didn't get a check. I got a, a statement that I'd made 20,000 for the year. And you lose half of that in tax. Mm. So like 20,000 for a year of footy where you play 90. And the guys who play 19 games now be getting, you know, getting north of 250. So what, so, were, so what were your match payments like at the time? Do you remember that? What, uh, well, what I, think would it was, I think it was something like 1,500 a game or something. Right. Uh, maybe a little bit less. But then they took all things. Yeah, we used to laugh. <laughs> Steve Rieger, our finance guy, who who went, went to work most days, blood pressure, 400 over 200, working out how he's going to pay people. Um, he would give us our little bills. And always the, down the bottom just be Contras. And the things that were on Contras were, they wouldn't cut it these days. Like you'd paid for your club suits, you paid for your club socks, you paid for your shorts, you paid for everything. Just as a way of the club being right. able to get their money back, I think. But it was just, a, it was a different time. A um, lot of fun. But just coming back to this social media age, like, you know, you're amongst friends here, King. So how many stories could have got out that didn't get out that, um, you know, you can retell now? You mixed with some quote-unquote colourful types? And the boys were really they – were, they were young guys that not a lot of them were married. Not a lot of them um, had – if they had a girlfriend, it was, it was, it was a, sh- a short-lived uh, experience at that stage. Um, so everyone was out and about. So Wayne would say well, – we'd, we'd play on a Friday night and he'd say, hey, 2 o'clock tomorrow, Laurel Hotel. And then he'd either say, bring your mate, not your missus, or he'd say, you know, all's welcome or whatever it was. It was just a, it was just a, there was never, you can come, you can't come. It was Mm. a blanket invitation everywhere. And more often than not, you'd get down to the, the Laurel Hotel was just an annex at the back of a, a back of a pub. Seriously. It was, it was nothing special. There'd be, there'd be 30 people there and they'd all get along like a house on fire and things would happen. Like stories would happen and we didn't know who we were mixing with. Uh, and I know this is where you're going. And there was a famous front page of the paper where Wayne gave character reference for Jason Moran. And then people say, how the hell would he know Jason Moran? Well, yeah. that, that was our, because we were, we were drinking with them essentially at the back of the uh, Laurel Hotel there in the, there's a little fellow with, uh, who had blondie hair back then. There was a little confrontation. There's always confrontations when guys have a few drinks together and he may have followed uh, one of the most dangerous men in Melbourne back to his house and knocked on his door and said, hey, listen, you ever pick on me like that in front of the boys and it'll be on. And live to tell the story, which is which is a yarn in itself. But uh, and he knew who he was picking on. He knew he was he didn't uh, seeking know, retribution. I don't think he knew right. exactly. Because if he knew, I know, <laughs> he would have knocked. He's not that courageous. No, right. Okay, I don't think anyone is. Uh, um, so we're dancing around a bit here, but 
With what you do now, how thick has your skin got? I mean, how much of it is about sticking to your guns, not flip-flopping? You make a statement. You live and die by your statements now, don't you? Whereas back in the day, you live and died by whether you hit a teammate from 40 metres away or we kick the goal or and we'll get to matters at Waverley Park a little bit later on. But, <laughs> you know, you live and die by the statements you make. This is the, this is the game. Well, I think when you're playing, the, the only thing that we didn't want to do was let down our mates. If you did the wrong thing, you know, post-match, we, we'd always catch up and have a beer and, and someone would say, hey, listen, you didn't go hard enough at that ball and you cost me a, cost me a goal today. And you, you'd look them in the eye and say, right, it won't happen again. Um, so you were corrected quickly by your teammates. Now, now, I don't know whether that's still the case now, the team defences and those sorts of things. It just looks different. They high-five after conceding goals now. We would never have high-fived back in the day. Dennis would have lost his marbles. <laughs> if, we, if we smiled, we got delisted. Um <laughs> So times have changed. I don't worry about social media so much now. I think it's a coward's way of um, clipping people. I um, I, I just before I do we break, a, I do block a few. By the way, the I'm up to a thousand and ten. A thousand and ten blockages. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, well, there's a lot of tools out there, mm. and I'm just not prepared to waste my time with it. Fair enough. Actually. The vision that he's shown so well on Fox Footy nowadays, the behind the goal stuff, those great clips, you know, the eyes, the circles, where you know. Is this where you tell us someone finds that stuff for you? Who trawls through together all that stuff? <laughs> I had Nathan Buckley ask me at the start of the year. He said, who, 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 who gets all your notes for you? <laughs> I said, sorry, what do you mean? He said, who, who, who gives you your, your, your edits yeah. and stuff? Who's I, pulling your strings? I thought he was joking. I said, no, 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 we, I've watched him myself and find him myself. Said, Is that when he said, I'm getting back to coaching? No, no, he said, I said, look, and that's when we had the discussion. I said, look, Nathan, I, I, in, in 2017, I said you should be sacked. I said, at least you know that I've watched every game and I've done all the numbers behind the scenes to arrive at that point. So we don't agree. We're clearly not going to agree on that. But I'm, but I'm doing, I'm doing mm. what I think in the, in the build-up to that opinion is, uh, is the due diligence. So I think that the game owes that to its people. My, my opinion is I watch all games because I think if you're going to talk about someone's job, at least give them the respect that you've all nine. You've viewed it yourself. Yeah, All nine. All nine. Right. Yep. Every and sometimes week. you're going back and looking at other things within those games and, and whatnot. Yeah, which is which is a lot easier to do than you think. But it's just a matter of downloading. It's just time. It's just time. So my weekends are cooked. Not good for the social life between March and September. No, it? it's it's. I'm not saying it hasn't strained a lot of relationships, friendships, because it does kill you during the season. Um, you don't see anyone, and when you see them, you see them at odd times. Not many want to catch up on a Tuesday arvo between two and five. Not many want to do Monday arvo between. One and three, you know, it's not prime time. So you lose balance. You lose, you do lose balance in life. So there's a cost to, to doing what we do. This is why I marvel at what Kane's able to do. I, I don't really know if he can do what he's doing long term, given the sacrifice that his family are doing as well as him time-wise. He's getting on planes, he's all sorts of things. His week's just ridiculous. So, And you, you talk to any uh, staff at Clubland, particularly recruiters, the divorce rate amongst recruiters is ridiculous. Because they're never home. I think it's something the league have to look at. We have to look at. We should have a buy round. This mm. this this week, this weekend, mm. should be a weekend off for everyone. Just to gather, to put some time into to your own personal world, get some balance back. This this nonsense that I oh, know we we're here we're here to depress, professionally develop people. They're all cooked. There's there's no energy left in, in, in the tank for some of these guys. So that's my that's my greatest challenge. Not the work. I'm happy to do the work. I'm happy to watch the games. 
We're off the mark here on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. So Assumption College, Port Melbourne, North Melbourne, will chart David King's path from humble beginnings to the big time after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We are with the dual kangaroo premiership player, two-time All-Australian, and as it turns out, member of the Assumption College's greatest team, <laughs> David King. Kingy, where was home as a kid? Uh, just out of Kilmore. My my parents, my dad was like a pseudo builder, carpenter thing. His father was a, was a carpenter. So you get the skills. I haven't got any of those skills from him, but I reckon we moved house. I, I would say 10 times through my primary school, early uh, high school years. Why is that? Cause he just buy a house that was awful, do it up. Put an extra story on it and sell it. Was that cool as a kid or did it give no, you the praise? it was awful because <laughs> all you kept doing was moving into houses that were awful. And as soon as they were any good, you moved. So it was a shocking cycle. <laughs> and in the end, in the end, we ended up on a farm just out of uh, just out of Kilmore, which dad still worked in Melbourne for Bowen's Timber. He worked there for years. And so he would leave home at six in the morning and drop me off at school on the way past. And I was like a pseudo boarder. I'd get dropped off before they woke up and I'd half wake up with them and you know, and then and then you're there until six thirty till he comes back. So it was a, a different sort of creates a really competitive edge because you're playing all the sports with them. You're playing cricket with them during the cricket season, and then when that finishes, they roll straight into footy. And you're doing every training session because you're there. You got to kill time. It was either that or study. So there was no fun in studying. So we might as well go and kick a footy. Siblings, two older brothers. Yep, mad sportsman. One's a Sparky, and one works for Qantas. Mm-hmm. What sort of play were you as a little tailor? Like, I'm just interested. Physiologically, did you always have that acceleration? Were you always quick? Scared blokes were always quick. Uh, and it was handy to be quick at Assumption for a whole host of reasons. But those who know Assumption know it well. So it's it's always minus five degrees up there. It's always wet. It's always cold. So you, you become a pretty a skillful player because you have to. Um, if you're playing the wet all the time, you learn where the ball's likely to get. You learn percentages. You learn... You know, you learn a bit more about the game than just, I think the guys are just kick a ball around for fun in in the beautiful conditions, in pristine conditions. The gun that year was a guy called Matthew Dundas, who played for Fitzroy mm-hmm. and, and then Richmond. He was a, he was an incredible footballer as a junior. But of the, of the say, 20 core senior or first 18 players, I think 15 of them went to AFL clubs. Uh, the, the gun of the team was a guy called Mark Shaw, who kicked, it was a small forward pocket, super quick, kicked about 130 goals. Uh, in his year 12 year, and he was he was signed to go to the Western Bulldog, and on muck-up day, put his arm through a, a glass window and and sliced all the tendons. Never made it after that. Yes. Went to Werribee and was a reasonable footballer for Werribee, but never the same player. Would have been a would have been a revelation at AFL level. So yours is an unheralded journey, isn't it, to the top? So certainly weren't a prodigy or a boy wonder or a nailed-on teenage talent. As you said, you just played for fun. So not always first 18 uh, footy at Assumption. How did you get to Port Melbourne and the VFA in 1990, I want to say? Well, I moved down to Melbourne at 17 with my brother who was already living at the back of this shack with this uh, this grandma who used to adopt kids. So it was a funny little little setup in Cumberland Road, Pasco Vale, and I uh, said, so we've got to play footy somewhere. 
the pair of us went down to the Coburg footy ground. Phil Cleary was coach and we were a bit intimidated by Phil. And we walked in and said, hey, Phil, just two young kids from the country. Just wanted to see if we can come down and have a kick. And he said, listen, I'll be honest with you guys. No point coming here. Like, you're not going to get a game. I'm not sure whether you're aware. We've just won. We've just won the flag. I think they won back-to-back flags. What are you two going to do to help us? Didn't right? even have a look at you. Didn't even have a look at us. So I walked down and thought, Shit, things are pretty tough down here, Melbourne, to even get into a club. So Luke Donald rang me, who was the guy I said went to St Kilda. He said, look, I know you're trying to get into the VFA and play some high-level footy. His father was the chief bookmaker in Melbourne who'd had some role with the Port Melbourne Footy Club. He said, go down to Port Melbourne. They'll give you an opportunity. So I went down there, walked in. There's a guy called Darkie McFarlane, the, 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 the old bloke at the front of the door. He says, right, oh, son, you're going to come down and play for us, eh? I said, oh, well, you know, just happy to come down and have a look. He said, I've got three questions for you. I'm thinking, here we go. This is bloody tough, this VFA, right? On the way in. He said, are you a copper? I said, mate, I'm 17. He said, is your dad a copper? I said, no, he's not. And I'm thinking, that's that's two questions down. I'm, I'm, I'm Bobby Sweet here. He goes, uh, where are you going to play? I said, oh, I, mate, I, I'm just happy to train, right? I said, I don't know, wing, half back, half forward, anywhere. He said, we well, won't play wing here. I'm thinking, this is going really well. I said, why is that? He said, we don't have wings in this comp. And I'm thinking, gee, I probably should have known that, right? And I'm thinking, well, that's surely the end of the interview. And he says, are you a local? I said, no, I'm from Kilmore. I spent the next two years in the reserves. I should have said I was a local. Most fun I've ever had playing footy was at Port Melbourne. So your first two games, uh, first two years rather, I think only eight games. So... Then Damien Drum, somewhere along the line, comes in as coach. Um, now, he'd go on, to, obviously, to take the reins at Fremantle a few years later and then obviously went into politics. But under him in 93, you don't just become a regular, but you become a star of the league. What? How did the penny drop? What turned it around? There's a footy name that a few will know, Doug Searle, who was a long-time coach of Richmond under-19s. When he finished up, he wrote me a letter, and he said, you should be playing AFL footy. I was playing reserves for VFA. Don't give up on this. Don't give up on that. Train harder. Do this. Do that. And it was the only person who'd ever said to me, you actually could be better than what you're doing here. You're having a great time, but really, you could be doing more. When he, when he moved on, Damien Drum come in, Drummy said the same thing to me like about four weeks in, and I thought, this is really weird. Like, what's going on here? We're just, I'm, I'm playing reserves. Like, I'm coming here every Monday night for fish and chip night and trying to buy some cheap jewellery, you know, whatever they've knocked off on the weekend, which was amazing in itself, some of those nights. Uh, Drummy come in, and after about two weeks of playing with Drummy, he said, look, I want you to play halfback, but I don't want you to pick anyone up. I, I want you to work out who they're going to try and put it at half forward, and you just play until he's kicked that many goals, we have to do something about it. And as the weeks rolled on... What a roll. Yeah, what a roll. Ahead <laughs> right? of your time, too. But it, it, it sort of worked for both parties, and we won... I think we lost one game for the year, and then we lost the grand final. That year was just so much fun. You missed the Liston by one vote, did you Listed not? Listed by one vote, Michael yeah. Sinney got you. Michael Sinney got me. But it, it sort of didn't matter because, you know, I played with guys that were, that just taught me so much. We, we had So that year, Jason Love, who's a Hall of Famer for Port Melbourne, really, is the toughest guy I've seen. He'd come back halfway through the year. He'd been delisted by Sydney and come back and played with us halfway through the year. But we had, we had guys that would do anything to look after a young fella like me. Yeah. We had a guy called Dean Crimes who was who was just riding shotgun, keeping an eye on everything, everything, making sure that if there was any violence to be had, he was on hand. He was on hand. So what I liked about it too, looking back, some of the old vision is you were rocking the long sleeve, but you were true to your roots all the way through. The long <laughs> sleeve. I'm not sure if you were born in it. You certainly retired in it. You're always in it. I think that was the only jumper they had for me back then. Number 41. So it wasn't a low number by any stretch. Well, if you've got no arm definition, as Adam Simpson says, go with the long sleeve. <laughs> Damien Drum goes on to be an assistant at Sydney. In late 93, he takes that position and he ended up convincing the Swans to take you. So says the record anyway. But North Melbourne got in first. So... 
Memory of draft day 93, pick 46. They'd obviously, well, I'm assuming they spoke to you and some other clubs as well. I can't really remember the clubs. I remember Sydney were keen and they had two picks in the 20s and Drummy said, we're not sure which pick we'll take you with, but you're coming up here. You're coming to Sydney. So get yourself organised. That must have felt awesome. Yeah, it did. It did. And I was nervous at the same time going to Sydney. You know, I hadn't really done any travel at that stage of my life. They bypassed those two picks. In those days, the, the draft was on the radio, but it wasn't on TV. And I remember getting a phone call saying, mate, they're up to pick like 35 and the, the Swans haven't gone anywhere near. I thought, oh, okay, this is, this is not ideal. So in the end, I went mid-40s and I think Greg Miller walked across the road from Bow- to Bowen's Timber. This is literally across the road from the North Melbourne footy ground and said, look, we've just drafted you. Welcome aboard sort of thing. It's obviously where you're working at the time. Yeah, yep. I was there at the time. And then the next day, went across the road and saw Dennis and Dennis said, have you got your runners with you? I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, oh, let's do a beep test. So I did an on-the-spot beep test in the, under the car park, uh, the roof there in the old Greyhound betting ring car park at Arden Street. You're at that stage where it's a bonus if you get picked up. Yeah, just yeah. putting in another day's work. Just We're just getting on with it. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. If it does, it does. We're with David King. It's This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. He's just touched on it. We'll get into some life at Arden Street right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating Hello, lives. enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with North Melbourne star turned Fox footy and SEN analyst David King. So, Kingy, what did you walk into at Arden Street in the preseason of 94? You touched on Dennis. He's obviously the coach. Wayne Carey has only recently been made captain. There's names like Schwoss, Stevens, Archer. The future four-time premiership coach of the Hawks is still playing, Alistair Clarkson. What was it like walking in there? Very nerve-wracking. I remember walking in and Wayne, the, my first day there, Wayne come up, you know, just this, this like he's built like a Greek god back in those days, you know, and he walked up, throwing his hand out, hey, Wayne, happy to meet you. I'm thinking, I know who you are, mate, you know. And then the, then the next guy does the same thing, and then Archer does it, then Stevens does it, then Swass does it. All these guys I'd been watching, you know, I'd been, been going to Friday Night Footy in 93 and watching them. Who'd you bag for as a kid? I was a swan, but my my, my best mates, my, my dad's uncle played for the swans in the bloodbath era. And my mates back for, for Kangas, so we'd go every Friday night. We'd, we'd go and watch these guys. They had a, a, an affiliation with Jason Love and the guys, so they come and watch their Port Melbourne final series. So they sort of knew me, and I sort of knew them, but no one really knew each other. And it was just such an embracing club. Like The whole thing was about, hey, we, we're all in this together, but we're going to train hard. We're going to go hard and, and have a good time, but when we train, we train hard, and and that was that was something that took a lot of getting used to when you when you haven't really done that before, mm. and all of a sudden you're thrown into a, an environment that's dog eat dog once the ball hits, yeah, you know, once the balls come out, and even the running sessions, I, I struggled with that for a long time. I was never a great runner long distance, and everything in those days was long distance, so you look you look like you can't play for the whole preseason. They're saying here's another one. Yeah, I can. You can just sort of feel it, and then and then you sort of get into your groove when the balls come out, and you had to prove yourself to the to the group. So that's the physical, right? And there's an adjustment with the physical. Your mindset, mentally, what was it? Was there an adjustment there? I mean, was there ever a thing of oh, geez, am I actually good enough to be here, or would did you come in? I'm keen on your state of mind. That did you come in thinking oh, I got this? I'm meant to be here? No, super intimidated. What am I doing here? 
You know, w- w- I'm out of my depth. And then you just fight and scrap and things fall your way. Brad Scholl, who was at the Kangas at that stage, he, he he did something in the reserves finals that cost him four weeks. So he was a halfback flanker slash back pocket for the senior team. Um, so there was a, there was an opportunity to play. And I just remember the, my first year in 94, mm. I think we had the bye week one. Was, so our first game was against St Kilda in round two. And all of a sudden we got hit with about 10 injuries. And Dennis came up to me late in the you know that that week, and he shook my hand. He said, "Listen, son, I don't know whether you're going to be here five minutes, five games, five months, five years, but you're going to have an opportunity this week. Put your best foot forward because you're 22 years of age, and it's not going to, you know, you're not going to get too many more opportunities than this." And I thought, well, that's a, you know, we're in, we're we're getting a, we're getting a chance. I know you've spoken about this a bit. I rewatched it this morning, actually. Jesus, is intense uh, at the death, as you would expect. But your first ever final is a qualifier against <laughs> Hawthorne at Waverley. It's ninety four. Goes to extra time, but it goes to extra time in part. We'll never know, but probably because you chose to bomb a post siren effort that ultimately fell short from about nine hundred meters out, um, despite getting the ball quickly inside fifty. We've got ten seconds left. Eight. If he can't get the distance from here, we have extra time. And look at Dennis Pagan, he is just so disappointed that the boy didn't get the ball onto his boot a little quicker. Because if it had landed in the square, North Melbourne may have been able to rush it over the line and score a point. It's going to be a big tall photo, Robbo. It's going to be the biggest kick this man has ever done in his life to score. His kick. For those who don't know, you, you take the mark. I think Shoal might have kicked it to you. He didn't did. He? Yeah, beautiful on the left. You take the mark. You, you, it would peer a long way out, but it's always hard to tell at Waverley. You hang on to it, I reckon, for a good 10 seconds, and then the siren goes. And when the siren goes, the camera cuts to Dennis on the bench. Oh, He's losing it, Dennis. crazy, Dennis. He's losing it. Were you actually joking when you said you would have been delisted had North not won this game, <laughs> as they did, obviously, an extra time? Oh look, I don't know. And again, this is this is why you try and have empathy for young players yeah. now because you just really don't know what you're doing or what the game requires. Then I got really nervous and thought I can't go torpedo because if it goes ten meters sideways, I'm going to look stupid here. Um, so I was probably lucky that the game was a draw at that stage. I mean, you know, if we're one point down, and you did that. Gee whiz, yeah. she's a different story. Then I probably am delisted. But the bigger problem was that Wayne had done his calf that week and played with a torn calf and kicked six on Chris Langford, who was a super player. Go and say, well, you thought you'd give him a few extra minutes and extra time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and when we lost the next week, then I said, you know what, son, it would have been handy if we didn't play that extra 10 minutes with a torn calf last week. So So next week was the incredible, was that the hand of God? That was the one, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, so that was, um, it was an incredible baptism of, you know, for your first year in AFL footy. and That's a pair of the most intense finals you're ever going to get. Yeah, I, I know that Dennis had what happened in that first final in the back of his mind because I reckon I spent the last 20 minutes of that prelim on the bench. He wasn't going to let me cost him the final. I don't blame him either. But 95, there's a prelim loss to Carlton who are running hot. But then 96, the side breaks through for the flag against Sydney. I just, the first one, um, how vivid are the memories? I do remember that. It just had this feeling about it that everyone was comfortable with the big games and comfortable that give us another chance, whatever, whoever it is, whatever it is, whatever the hurdles are, that we'll tick them off. And, and again, it's not because of us. It's because we had the best player in the competition that was that dominant 
that he would put a game to bed in, in five minutes. And I know we all look at numbers and stats and goal records and best of Ferris and those sorts of things, but I've never seen a player take total control of a game for small windows and just finish it. It happened you know, at every point that you needed it. When the, when the game was in crisis, Wayne would step up. And that's why I don't think you can really compare players of different eras. But if you are looking at that era, he wasn't just the best player in the, that comp. He was the best by a long, long way. It was a special time to be there to see him do his thing and, and then be able to have a beer with him and be considered one of his friends or, you know, one of his colleagues. And um, it was just it was just so special. And that that's probably sits more with me than the winning. And I remember more about footy trips and Mad Mondays than I do about games because that was just how we were geared. Mm. We were just... We were just there having a great time and, 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 and winning along the way. 96 or 99, they were the premiership years. What one? Or is it like picking a favourite out of your kids? Oh, 96, definitely, yeah. just to see what it did for the club. And this is a club that needed to make every post a winner financially and to, to be able to put smiles on faces that had been so good to us. You know, we, we had a group of trainers that had lived through some dark footy times, you know. Gangers would hardly win a game through you know, through decades there in the middle of the century. So, you know, to be able to see those guys smile and really, you know, em- em- embrace the win, uh, get photos with the cups. These are guys, grown men, you know, 60, 70 years of age, brought to tears by success. Yeah. And you see what it does to the fans. I didn't really understand it at the time. I don't think as a player you can understand the size of what's just happened uh, until you live it. And this is why we talk about players that have won it and players that haven't. That, that feeling... It's just, it's like a, there's an aura about everything that happens for a week. It's, you're like in this dream. It's a, it's a surreal experience. And 99 is different because you probably play more of a role. You probably can impact the game a bit more. Like you're a bit player in 96 and just don't stuff it up. You know, just don't let your man be the reason they win. Mm. Whereas in 99 and potentially 98, you're a better player. You're able to influence the game and, and, and have some sort of bearing. And so you that's the good. You touched on 98. That's the bad. So 6-15-51 at halftime to Adelaide's 4-3-27. I can remember this game so well. You get overrun with a final score of 8-22. Mm. The level of angst, frustration, does it still haunt you, this game? It's an amazing game. Sometimes in footy, you just feel helpless. You're out there and you, and you try so hard, nothing works. So from a personal point of view, I was all Australian that year. And then in a final series, couldn't, just couldn't touch the footy. It just, it just left me for three weeks. And I just remember the, the pressure that that brings. You know, we've got a coach that's not, not accepting of, of that. And we've got an environment that, that challenges everyone to, to perform. And I just didn't touch it. So, so whilst the scoreboard was saying that we were missing, I, I, I couldn't get my hands on the ball. I was in a fight of my own. So then when the scoreboard at halftime says you're winning, I'm thinking, well, you know, at least we're winning. Now, I don't care if I don't get a kick if we win. But then when you lose and you don't get a kick, again for probably the third week, in the biggest games of your, of your life because you're a reasonable player now and you and you, you should be doing more. So that, that that brings its own challenges. Crows were very good on the day and I, I never talk poorly of the Crows. They did what they had to do, but we, we were $1.10. You know, we, we should have just, we should have got that game done and we, we just we just blew it. So speaking more broadly though, because it was a successful era, as I said off the top, possibly the most successful era that club has has known your first seven years, you're playing a prelim every year at a minimum, which is amazing. So the team with Wayne that you touched on as the figurehead, you, you play, I remember you played with a real swagger, didn't you? There was a, a swagger about the team and you weren't scared. You mentioned, you know, jokingly playing slips in cricket, being a professional sledger. You were all happy to embark on a bit of verbal, were you not? Yeah. And I think good teams do that. I think good teams have an edge. They're prepared to throw it out there and they're prepared for it to come back. If you put it out there, you've got to back it up. Um, and, and most of our guys did. They were happy to mix, 
mix it, whether it be physical, whether it be skill for skill, they were happy to engage in all facets of the game. Did you ever go too far with it? Uh, I think you do. I think you always test the, the, the boundaries and probably go a little bit too far. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. Look, Dennis wasn't happy with a couple of things. I did. Once I, I mocked Josh Fraser one time pretty hard early in his days because we were going after him. Went pretty hard at Nathan Buckley because Nathan turned his back on us despite taking the 10000 Dennis, Dennis would tell us about You remind me about that 10000 You know he hasn't given it back, son. He would have given it back, but Dennis just cranked us up. And I probably – I went pretty hard at Craig McRae one time, and Dennis wasn't happy with me doing that. He said, you, you beat your, your opponents, you never humiliate them. You, know, you learn lessons along the way. No one's the finished product when they start, and they're probably not when they finish. Uh, <laughs> you're listening to this as your journey. It's thanks to – Are we done yet? Tobin Brothers Funeral <laughs> celebrating lives. There's more to come. Hey, no. more to come. Just a little bit more with David King after this. Stay on field. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. We have been joined today by North Melbourne's dashing defender, David King. So, King, I know you said stay on the field, and I apologise in advance, <laughs> because if this isn't the biggest story to have hit football, it's certainly on the podium. It's Wayne Carey's affair with Kelly Stevens, obviously the subsequent fleeing to Vegas, an eventual departure from the club to Adelaide as its captain, as its leader, as its inspiration. Now, have you, I'm just interested, have you been asked about anything else as much as this over the <laughs> over the journey? Uh, no, I feel sad for it every time. I think the way you get through it, and, and a lot of people have been in, in these similar positions when partners split up or marriages break down, often you're forced to choose a side. And I just made a decision to myself that I wasn't going to do that. I just was going to be the best person I could be to both of them, even though they need different things from that moment on. And I wasn't going to publicly get involved in anything because they'd both been amazing people to me and my family and my friends for, for, for a decade, you know? So it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't want to get in the nitty gritty all over again, but just mm. quickly, how did you hear about it? Did you hear about it from someone at the time? Did you hear about it through the media? Did you hear about it from someone else? How did it come to being? Do you remember where you were and how it all went down in the... True was, story. It was my 30th the night before, and I had a little house in uh, in Essendon, tiny little single front of joint. We had too many people in this house the night before for the party, and the next day the joint was a mess. So the Sunday night was the party at Archer's place, and I rang Archer and I said, look, if I walk out of here, I think I'll be delisted at home. I don't think I can get there tonight, right? So whenever you didn't go to something, your phone would ring with these wild excuses. Hey, look, mate, you're going to have to come. Um, this has happened, you know? So-and-so's got no blue. Can you come down and sort of, yeah. you get down there and you have 10 beers. Clever. You know, so that would happen. Re- I like that. So regularly you get a phone call. You know it's coming. It might be 8 o'clock. It might be 10. It might be whatever. So then when I got a couple of calls saying, hey, look, this has happened, I thought there's no way. Look, you're basically just hanging up. There's no way that's up. So just as a matter of course, I, I just went to training the next morning. Not even, not even. Thinking it was just a little furphy. Guys good, having good a Good gag, guys. Yeah. So I went to train the next day and... And then when I walked in, it, it had a different feeling. There's a couple of people in the car park, media people. And I'm thinking, this is strange. Well, what, you know, what's going on, you know? And then uh, Wayne was there. Wayne was there early. And I spoke with him and I can't remember exactly what we said, but it was something on the lines of, you know, you got to believe me sort of stuff. And I can understand the pressure that he was under at that stage. And it's, But I just, I just couldn't allow myself to believe anything. 
you know, even though it was it was all probably right laying in front of me, I just I just wouldn't let myself believe it, you know. So you tell you you tell yourself a lie for what starts as minutes and then turns into hours, and you've, I find myself defending him everywhere and saying no, no, no. and then a, 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 not that it breaks publicly, it, it sort of it just it just hits you at a point and you go, you know what, what, what what's happening here? That's how that's how I went through it, not really accepting that it had happened. Until it absolutely was yeah. accepted that it happened. The matters leading to the statement I'm about to make are of a uh, personal nature and I will not discuss them. For the well being of all concerned, I have taken the decision to cease my playing career with the uh, Kangaroos. I regret the circumstances of my actions, which has led to the decision and the pain it has caused to my wife and my family. I apologise to all my teammates and all the kangaroo supporters. However, I believe this is the only proper and responsible course of action. Thank you. And then it took off from there. So I was going to ask just last one on this. Of, of all the big games, the grand finals, the premierships, the big finals, the Essendon rivalry and all that, where does the first game after Wayne's scandal broke rank? I think it was Port Adelaide, 2002, maybe a week and a half after um, Wayne leaves or days after, and you go over there and you win it. Um, but I remember that we were two weeks out from the season. It was our last practice match against St Kilda was the Saturday before the Sunday night. So it would have been a week and a half, two weeks out from the year. And I remember some people just stand taller than others in times of crisis. And I just vividly remember people like Matthew Burton, uh, Savrocker, Lee Colbert, Glenn Archer, standing taller than most. And we, we did a campfire session up at, um, I always remember Bernie Colbert's, Lee fa- Lee's father's name. I, I can never remember his mum's name. But they said, come up here and spend, the, spend some days up here and just thrash it all out. And I just remember sitting there and, and, and Arch saying, we got to get on with this and we've got to play finals. I don't care what else happens for the year, we're going to make finals. So this is step one and we're, it's it's just, we're in this, this is us. It's us now. We heal, we come together. We While we're still a little bit banged up and broken, we're going to have a few beers and we're going to, if anyone wants to say something, say it. And we did. Mm. And everyone just sort of sat around and, and then we got, to, we got to Port Adelaide and I remember this like it was yesterday. It was either Archer's 200th or 250th game was a significant milestone. He snapped a goal from the boundary with about 90 seconds, put us just outside a goal in front to basically say, I've won us the game. And it was just a, a moment in time. Mm. And when we got back into the rooms, you've never heard the song, the song sung like it. And you've never seen guys on the edge of bursting into tears for an hour after the game. It was just, yeah, it was just more than footy. It was more than footy that night. And then we just we just got rolling from there, and I thought, how bloody strong are these guys? Yeah. Seriously, how much how much ticker have they got? How strong are they to block all this out and go and play? Like I was just in awe of of what they were able to do, and 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 you just tried your hardest to be a to be a, a member, a good a good teammate. Ten points you got him by, and he did play finals Ten. that year. Just at the end of your career, Kingy, you retired obviously in 04. I think you went into Clubland straight after, like a lot do. Richmond, how did that come about? And was coaching something that initially you'd, you'd wanted to do? Uh, I was. Doing a little bit of media at the back end, just a little bit, even though Dennis hated us doing media, I, I sort of enjoyed it. I enjoyed the game, but I didn't do it as analytically as what I've sort of become now. Terry Wallace grabbed me one day and just said, hey, listen, what are you doing with yourself? Are you you're in Clubland somewhere? I said, no, no. He said, well, do you want to come down part-time to Richmond? I said, oh, not really. And then he rang me a couple of times and I thought, well, if I can make it all work, you know, why not? So I went down there part-time, which is part-time pay, full-time hours, and sort of enjoyed it even though it was tough. We did didn't... you? I was going to assume that you didn't, given uh, it was... I lo- the first year, I think they won something like eight in a row or nine in a row off the top. 
and Nathan Brown, and I know he jokes about this, but Nathan Brown and Matthew Richardson, they put on the best 10 weeks as a duo that you've ever seen. Yeah. And it was just so exciting. And it was just sort of, it was good to be at another club to just see how it all unfolded and just to live that experience. And of course, from sort of that moment on, it become really tough and the club lost, we all we all had our role to play in it not working. Yeah, so it was it was a tough one at the end and I, I, I didn't really love the last 18 months of it, which is understandable. And then when media gave greater opportunity, you said, okay, that's where I'll go. So that path to the media, who gave you your first shot? Was it 3AW? Was it Tony Leonard and, yeah. and Rex and all yeah, those guys? Rexy and Clinton Gribus back in those days. So yeah. I started on Saturday nights with Tone, big, big Tone. Uh, we'd <laughs> yeah. drive down to Geelong together. We had such a great time and he sort of schooled me on everything you need to do do and if you're prepared you'll be all right um so we were we were always over prepared but really we were looking to have a laugh we, we, we the Saturday night team was just was just there to have fun and if the footy was on the background even better and your relationship with champion data so the number side of the game and the analytics you touched on that side of the game and the way it's covered seemed to sort of grow as you grew into your new media role did you think it, there was a niche there and that there was a little gap in the market so to speak I know that my footy CV is not like the guys that I work with so I had to find something that was a bit uh, bit different and create my own niche and I saw a young champion data uh, growing um, there were competitors with Champion Data back then, a mob called Prowess. I didn't really like what they were doing and, and I thought the Champion had a better handle on what the game was was becoming. I embraced stats, which wasn't really that uh, popular. Mm. I got smashed for, for the first five years for, for putting numbers to things. People hated it. Point Dexter. It, well, they did. They just didn't like having to research their opinion or they didn't like having their eye challenged. And people yeah. would say to me, oh, you get, that's numbers. My eye's telling me this. Yeah. Like that, that, that used to hit me for years. And then you're sort of, you're able to say more with the, the, the weaponry of numbers. And in the end, I think people thought, you know what? We, we have to stop fighting this. We have to embrace yeah. it. And, and I think the younger generation, they want answers. They want reasons. And that's what the data does. And yours is a mix of fact and opinion. We use fact to formulate an opinion, but that doesn't mean you don't upset people. I mean, Brad Scott might be footy's most famous drive-by just a few years ago. And I'm assuming when the phone rings from a senior coach during the year, it's not to say, how you doing and, and check up on your welfare. It's to say, <laughs> how the heck can you say that? Yeah, and, and you know what? We get it wrong as much as we get it right. But as long as the as long as you've done the research mm. and as long as you've got an opinion that's formulated f- from a, a starting point, you can have the conversation. And they know that. They know that. Yep. I went hard at Mark Neal, probably too hard. I went hard at Nathan Buckley, probably too hard. And when you're talking about people's jobs, you know, we're talking this week about Daniel Rich. Did you go too hard at Daniel Rich? Well, in the end, you say what you say after seeing what you see and, and having evidence. And I think that that's okay as long as people know that you're not just shooting from the hip. Kingy. Thanks so much for joining us today, mate. I, I, I'm I'm not sure you're very modest. So I'm not sure people fully appreciate how good your playing career was. But the resume stacks up better than most. Nearly 250 games, the two premierships I speak of, the two All Australians. After you forged your own path to the highest level as well. But as good as it was, you haven't relied on it to build your post playing career behind the microphone and in front of the camera. That is instead built on a shrewd insight, tactical eye for the game that makes you compelling listening and viewing across all your platforms. So well done on everything you've done and are doing, and thanks for joining us today. Still making mistakes, still will. Uh, love working with you, love working with Cornsy, and um, let's just have some fun. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Celebrating Lives. Jump online, you can find them, tobinbrothers.com.au, and we'll catch you the very next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.